Well, good morning, church. It's so good to be with you, and hopefully you've had a chance to gather with somebody to join us for this morning's online worship service. If you're a first-time guest, I just want to say thank you for joining us, and I would love to invite you to check out our website, SalemHeightsChurch.org, to see what we've got going on at the church right now and to learn a little bit more about us. Well, we've had a lot going on at the church as we've been kind of remodeling and updating our building that was flooded a few months ago. And there's great uh, updates going up underway. In fact, right now our entire stage has been torn out and is going to be built back to create a better worship experience for you, uh, allow more seating in our room, and to be able to uh, bring us all together in a safe way. And so we just wanted to share these pictures with you this morning and invite you, if you would like to give to this project, that you can reach out to the church office or go online and, and donate to this project as we look forward to putting the building back together in preparation for us gathering together again in the future. Well, this morning we have a special treat for you as we worship together with our entire music ministry. Earlier this week, they gathered together to record a special worship set for us this morning, all the voices together. And so we're glad that you're here with us this morning and we invite you now to worship with us. I stand amazed in the presence. And I stand amazed in the presence.
How great, how great, how great. 
song to rise to you. So teach my song to rise to you. And when temptation comes, and it will, and when temptation comes my way, when I cannot stand, when I cannot stand or fall on you, you're my hope and stay. Yes, Jesus, you're my
together. And Father, you are perfect in all of your ways, and you are a good Father to us. And we are so thankful that no matter what happens around us, you are in control of it all. I pray that you would just help us to trust you with that. That's where our faith needs to step in. God, I'm so thankful that we have an opportunity to worship like this. I would pray that you would help us now as we hear from your word, that it would sink deep into our hearts and that we would live in light of that. God, I pray that you would just build us up this week. Help us know how we can minister to other people that are hurting and need a word from you. God, I would pray that you would help us to do all things for your glory, because that's what we've been called to. We're so thankful for this evening, and pray now that you would help us as we hear from you. In Christ's precious name, amen. Well, good morning, Salem Heights. I hope that you were super encouraged to see our worship team gathering together again and leading us in worship. And I hope that you're encouraged this morning and able to meet with some other folks to uh, look at the Word of God and apply it to our lives. This morning, we're going to continue our series, In the Desert, But Not Deserted. And it, I've actually entitled this message, Use Extreme Caution. And in order to start us off appropriately, I, I do want to give a trigger warning. The topic for this morning is going to be sexual immorality. We're going to be reading some passages that are found in Scripture. This is God's Word. There's no part of God's Word that we apologize for. Um, but that said, we are gathered in home groups, and many of us have our families together and even our children. And I'll just say this, uh, I've read this scripture, and I haven't found a children's ministry yet that has a corresponding color sheet for this passage. So if you want to pause and, uh, and maybe listen to the entire message and refer it to your kids later or walk them through what we talked about this morning, that would be an acceptable way to do uh, this Sunday. Uh, not because we're afraid of the topic, but we want you to be able to digest that on your own and be able to appropriately bring that to your kids. Also this morning, I want to give you a reminder. In order to handle this topic, I really felt that we need to remember that God's already given us a medical bag to do triage in, in case we go through this morning and we find that we've got open wounds. Three things I want to remind you of before we tap, tackle this topic. And the first one is this. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we're reminded that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. If you have things in your past that have overwhelmed you or things even in your recent history as a believer, God is at work undoing those things and is only asking that you would walk with him, allow him to touch areas that are overwhelming, but you're a new creation in Christ. He is at work undoing the harm. Allow him. Second thing I'd remind you of is in 1 John 1, 9, it says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
The statement in Scripture is not just that he will take away the sin, but it says, I'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He will literally go back and take care of the trail that led up to that sin. We make a thousand little decisions every single day, and each one of us will make small decisions that ultimately can lead to a big disgrace. God not only takes care of the disgraceful act, but it says in scripture, he wipes clean the little trail of small decisions that you made that got you there. He is active, helping you get on a new standing. And the third thing I wanna remind you of is in Romans 8.1. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. If you are in Christ, you are not condemned. You might be convicted, but you are not condemned. God will walk you forward. We need to hear those things in order to digest this passage. With those things said, let's take a look at God's word. We'll start in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to begin with verse 8. And it says, Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in a single day, 23,000 people died. Verse 11 goes on and says, And these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages have come. So whoever thinks he stand must be careful not to fall. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. Then in Numbers 25, verses 1 through 9, it says this, While Israel was staying in the Acacia Grove, the people began to prostitute themselves with the women of Moab. The women invited them to sacrifices for their gods, and the people ate and bowed in worship to their God. So Israel aligned himself with Baal of Peor. And the Lord's anger burned against Israel. The Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and execute them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that his burning anger may turn away from Israel. So Moses told Israel's judges, Kill each of the men who aligned themselves with Baal of Peor. An Israelite man came, bringing a Midianite woman to his relatives in the sight of Moses and the whole Israelite community while they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of Meni. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw this, he got up from the assembly, took a spear in his hand, and following the Israelite man into the tent, he drove it through both the Israelite man and the woman, through her belly, and the plague on the Israelites was stopped. But those who died in the plague numbered 24,000. Now, as I said at the beginning, this is an intense section of Scripture. In fact, to our modern ears, even though we see so much destruction, even though in our movies and TV we actually worship quite violent images, when we read stuff like this in Scripture, it can horrify us or cause us to step back. In fact, it might cause us not to appropriately work through what God is trying to convey. I want us to see four things in this passage that I believe will help us, will strengthen us, and cause us to run to purity if we'll just listen. The first thing that I want you to notice, 
and this is consistent, is that sensuality is a key weapon in the war against God. For three chapters prior to this in the book of Numbers, there has been a war that is going on. In fact, these Midianites, these other uh, leaders, have come up against Israel, and they've actually hired somebody, Balaam, to come up and curse the people. They found that Balaam was successful in bringing forth curses when he was working with them in other situations against other tribes. They had hired him in the past to bring a curse, to actually seek the gods of the people they were against and ask their own gods to curse them. So they did that with Balaam. They hired him to bring a curse against Israel. And he goes up to a high mountain one time and he begins to summon the God of Israel. But when God speaks, he tells Balaam, I'm not going to curse them. In fact, you're going to bless them. And Balaam ends up blessing them from that mountain. Well, the Midianite kings are overwhelmed by that. The, these folks from Moab are, are uh, absolutely devastated. They bring him to another location, have him do it once again. And once again, Balaam blesses rather than curses. They bring him up finally in chapter 24 to a third location. They say, you better get this right or your life depends on it. And Balaam says, I can only say what God tells me to say. And actually in that passage, God not only blesses Israel, but he gives us a prophecy of the coming Messiah that is so profound that some believe it is the actual prophecy that led the wise man to Jesus later on. God's not only actively protecting them, he is preparing them for their savior in the three chapters prior. And in two verses, Israel slips out from underneath the protection of God and right in to destruction because of decisions they made and they were sexual decisions. If you take a look at the history of mankind, salvation history, all the way back in the garden, sensuality was used as a destructive pattern. It wasn't sexuality, but it was the appetites inside an individual. When they looked at the fruit, they said, well, it looks good to eat. It has a nice shape. It's good to the eyes. All of these appetites are in their description of the fruit. They did not say, did God say it was okay to eat? They rejected the fact that God said it'll kill you, and they looked at whether or not it was pleasing to them. This is the way sensuality works. Abraham receives the promise that he's going to be a great nation. God tells him, these are what's going, things that are going to happen to you. And he says, I believe it. And it says, Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him as righteousness. The very next story is him going into the arms of Hagar. Samson is actually greeted and put on display as if he is going to be a messianic figure. This is somebody who will set your people free from oppression in the land. And what is his downfall? The sexual dalliance he has with Delilah who ultimately leads him to his destruction. David, he's been given a promise that in him is, is the line of the king. The Messiah will come from his lineage and he goes out and has a failure with Bathsheba. It happens over and over and over. Israel and the Asherim, it goes all the way through into the New Testament. This pattern is consistent and it hasn't stopped. In the New Testament, in 2 Peter, a warning about false teachers says this. In 2 Peter chapter 2, it says they have eyes full of adultery. They never stop looking for sin. 
They seduce unstable people and have hearts trained in greed, children under a curse. Verse 18 says, For by uttering boastful, empty words, they seduce with fleshly desires and debauchery people who have barely escaped from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption, since people who are, are enslaved to whatever defeats them. What's defeating them in that passage there? It's sexual immorality. They say, hey, I'm going to give you freedom in this area, but actually it becomes a chain. Statistically, in the United States, there's some uh, horrifying things that are going on. Pornography in the United States, every three seconds, $3,000 is being spent on pornography. Every second, 28,258 internet users are viewing pornography. Every 39 minutes, a new pornographic video is being created in the United States. If you add up just the finances that are being spent every single hour from that $3,000 a second, $10,800,000 an hour is being invested in immorality, in things that will cause you to be um, inflamed in your passions and desire to go have those passions fulfilled. It's not just pagans, though. It's also pastors in pulpits across America. Approximately 33% of pastors have admitted to viewing internet pornography. 55% in one pastor's conference, um, in a, in a survey of 5,000 pastors indicated that they had inter, it, um, visited a pornographic site within the last year, and 33% had visited sexually explicit sites within the previous three weeks. It's infecting every single aspect of our faith. Under a question of how a fair proof is your, uh, your marriage, Tom Smith had written an article. He's uh, the director of the General Social Survey at the National Opinion Research Center, the University of Chicago. And in that article, after spending all of these years steeped in the subject, uh, he states that about 15 to 18 percent of ever married people have had sexual partners other than their spouse, spouse while married. As he cited other reports, some that had way higher statistics and some slightly lower. He said that on average, 20% of marriages have been impacted by infidelity. That's a horrifying statistic. If that is the case, that means on a daily basis you are running into somebody who is either actively pursuing an affair or has been harmed by one. That will invade on your spiritual life. It'll wreck a home. It'll hurt your walk with God. It'll cause you to be separated, which is God's greatest concern. Over half of the Protestant missionaries in the world come from the United States. One of our greatest exports is Christianity. But also, and it's not even close, almost all of the pornography being produced is being produced in the United States or for the United States. We have one of our greatest exports, Christianity, out there on display, but right on its heels, one of the most nefarious exports, pornography. We're known for both. 
Sensuality is a weapon in the war against God. And when you begin to partake in it, you will close your eyes to his best. But the second thing that I want you to see in this passage is that immorality often arrives by invitation. It says here that the people began to prostitute themselves with the women of Moab, and the women invited them to sacrifice to their gods. They accepted that invitation. Well, I mean, it's only the right thing to do, right? Somebody gives you an invitation, sure, I'll come over. I'll hang out with you. Why would you turn it down? Short while ago, actually quite a while ago, in the 1960s, the Soviet Union, wanting to keep up with the arms race, created a bomb that was so massive, it was 15,000 times more powerful than the bomb that was set off in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. If you took Hiroshima and Nagasaki together, it was 15,000 times more powerful than that. It was so massive when they finally did the test explosion. Uh, they had buried it and tried to protect uh, those that were around, but the shockwave from the explosion went around the world three times. Three times it went around and they could actually register that shockwave from the bomb. What they were intending to do was to deliver that bomb via a plane. If they had done that, they said that there was no plane at the time that was fast enough to be able to deliver the bomb and get away from the explosion. It would have been a one-way trip for those that were dropping the bomb. Horrifyingly destructive. The men that had worked on developing that bomb all quit the program at the end because they believed that they were going to blow up the world. Why in the world would you create a bomb that powerful? Why would you set it off? Well, in the Soviet Union, they believed that peace and respect was tied to that bomb. That explosive moment for them they thought that they were actually providing peace and respect for themselves. In the sexual dalliance, quite often what happens is you are searching for peace, for comfort, and you're looking for respect, somebody finally to respect me and to get me uh, for who I am. But instead, what you get is something so destructive, it'll ruin your life and harm those that are around you. Our men that come on, and especially those that teach the word here at our church, are, are often asked for a list of 70 names. We ask them, when they come on, to create a list of 70 names of people who will be harmed if they fall in sexual infidelity. If you can't come up with a list of 70 names, you haven't thought of it. It's not just your wife and your kids and the people at the church that will be harmed, uh, but it is your family, your extended family, the people who hear about that, the, the, the folks who believe in Christ will have their name marred because of those decisions. So how does something so destructive work its way into a life? The best way that I can say that, that we quite often see this happening is by invitation. Some have called it relationship ping pong. You're going by uh, that individual and, man, you look wonderful today. And the return is stated, well, you look, you look beautiful today as well. Oh, man, I really love the work that you produce. Yeah, you do really wonderful things as well. Hey, would you ever just, you know, as friends want to go and, and get some lunch? Sure. Can I buy? Yeah, absolutely. Can I buy you drinks? And the next thing you know, they're in a hotel room. The trail is consistently there. We never start off with the hotel room, 
But relationship ping pong, invitation after invitation, leads us to the door of destruction. If we will not investigate our own hearts and say, where am I really headed? There's a third thing, though, I want you to see here, is that removing immorality often requires a bold move. It says that Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, went into the tent and took a spear and drove it through both the Israelite man and the woman. And the plague on the Israelites was stopped. That's a horrifying scene. It seems so aggressive for Scripture to highlight that and say this is what it took to stop the plague. Why would God use something that is so violent? In fact, you might say, I don't understand why this is even in the Bible, and it causes me to question whether or not God is good. I just want to remind you, and, and I don't want you to get lost in the trail, but I think you need an illustration to remember that when God highlights things in Scripture, He lays them out there for us and asks us to, in faith, review the truth that He has just laid in front of us. Every time that God writes something in Scripture, He is in a catch-22. We, in our human nature, in our sin nature, do not like it when God acts as God. We don't think He should have permission. If we just go back to the illustration of baby Hitler, if God would have killed Hitler as a baby, we would have all been mad and said, why didn't he let that baby grow up and find out what he was going to be? But if we wait, if, we, if God allows Hitler to grow up and to have his destructive habits, then we say, God, why didn't you kill him when he was a baby? We don't like it when he acts. We don't like it when he doesn't act. We don't like God being God. We get frustrated when he does what is necessary to win the day. But if we take it to our responsibility, we must let God be God. Imagine not allowing your surgeon to do work on you. You're, you know that you have a necessary surgery, but you say, you know what, before you do the surgery, I'm going to go get my medical degree. And you work your way through medical school and get a PhD before you're going to allow him to work on you. And then while he's wheeling you in, and you've aged extremely, and the surgery is still urgent, he's wheeling you in, you look over at the table of knives and you say, how are you going to use that knife? Do you know how much destruction has been caused by knives in the world? And you begin to take God on. Can you imagine how foolish that would seem? What is the wise course of action? To allow the great surgeon to use a knife that many other people might use for harm. But in his hands, it is a tool of repair. If we trust him and we know that he is good, he can use that in a way that destructive people could never imagine. He will use that to help us. Final illustration to consider right now in this season with COVID, many people are going to the doctor and they find out that they have a cold or flu symptoms. And even if they test positive for COVID, they're sending them home and saying, I want you to wait out those symptoms. It's appropriate. That is what the response to the disease demands. It's actually the appropriate measure for that disease. Wait it out and see if you're in danger and only in danger will we heal you. But if you go into those same doctors and they discover that you have a little bit of cancer, very quickly they take you and they say, let's make sure that we get you started on chemo and radiation and surgery. And they're bringing all the big guns. All of a sudden, everything is being focused on that. Why? Because the intensity of the disease determines the course of the treatment. If one can be healed by just taking your time, the appropriate measure is to take your time. 
but if it can only be removed through radical effort, then you must use radical effort. What God is declaring in every single situation when he writes about this subject is, this is as dangerous as cancer and it takes a radical move. The real question for us is, is there a bold move that's needed in your life? Do you need to go in a bold move and tell somebody, I have been struggling with what I've been watching. I've been struggling because I've been drawn to a relationship I know that I should not be pursuing. Does somebody need to go to somebody else and say, I've been watching this. What is your intention here? Do you know that this will harm your family? If you love an individual that you know is heading into a destructive pattern, it is only wise to pull them out of the path of destruction. It's only kind, but it will take a bold move to say, should you be looking at that? Should you be walking with them? Should you be participating in that relationship? It may be unnerving, but it may be the only medicine that will help. As we close, final observation is that God wants us to be warned, but also restored. He wants us to be instructed, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, but he wants us to be instructed so that we will flee the temptation and run to him. It says, these things happened as examples. They were written for our instruction on whom the end of the ages have come. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has come upon you except that which is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he'll provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. God's intention is never your destruction. It always is your good. He wants to help you walk through whatever it is you are facing. And he provides the warning to stop our activity. But then he provides the help to bring restoration. The question of the morning is, if you are struggling in this area, will you allow God to heal you, restore you, and put you on a proper footing? We have some questions, and I just want to walk through them very quickly because I want us to think rightly as we are in our groups, especially our home groups in a small and confined area. I want you to be thoughtful towards each other, but I don't want us to hide. Three questions. First, is there somebody that you could share with if or when you are struggling with temptation? You don't have to share in the room, but it is important that everybody knows that they have somebody they can go to. If you do not have somebody you can go to, we'll make sure in this message and also we'll make available through the church counselors. We have a wonderful counseling team that is here that would love to help you unpack what it is you are facing and help you find not only the way to resolve the hurt and the pain, but be restored with the living God. Second question, what would you share with somebody who is struggling in this area? Be thoughtful of this. If you know that somebody is struggling, how would you extend help and comfort them with the comfort that you have received? And third, does your view of God need to change so that you can trust him and praise him in the area of sexual promiscuity or sexual health? 
Will you trust God's good plan rather than run to your own appetites? Do you view him as one that is a good God, a faithful God that wants our best, that even desires our pleasure in the right context? Or do you view him as an ogre? If your view needs to change, confess that today. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us as a church in this season where we are in the desert and it seems like everything bad is up. All of the destructive habits that were kept in check by busyness and activity and all the things that we were doing formerly, those old appetites have found their way back and have heightened their numbers and found more strength as we have been separated from fellowship and separated from many in the day-to-day -day activities of our life. Father, we ask that especially in the area of sexuality that you would keep us pure, that you would remind us of your truth, that we would find safety in your word, that we would run to you and find healing and hope in a time of desperation. Provide those that will walk alongside us. Father, help us to remember the truth of your word, that you are a surgeon and a healer and the one that wants to take care and shepherd our souls. Help us to trust you, we pray in Christ's name.